0: There's a lake in the north of Scotland that you've heard of. It's famous and it became famous because in 1933, the man and woman who ran the hotel, the Drumnadrocket Hotel, were driving towards Inverness, which is really in the north of Scotland. And one iteration of the story goes that the man's wife looked out towards Loch Ness. It was a fine day. The lake was calm and clear. And she cried out and said, Ah, the beast. Ah, the beast. She claimed that she saw something like this. It's interesting that from that day to this, about 1,000 people have claimed to see, or at least there have been 1,000 or so sightings of Nessie. Not clear enough, not good enough, not recorded well enough to convince everybody that Nessie exists. And it has been said that a disproportionate amount of those sightings have been made by people who own hotels and cafes in the area. (laughs) They've searched the lake, they've searched on top of the lake, they've searched underneath the lake. They've used conventional searching equipment. They've used the very latest technology. They've done everything they can. They've searched and searched and searched in the hope of flushing this big thing out. It's never been found. But that does not stop people from flocking to the north of Scotland in the hope of seeing the fabled Loch Ness monster or merely the lake that the proposed suggested monster made famous. There are people all around the world who believe in the existence that quite frankly of, of something that quite frankly nobody has ever seen. People believe it never seen it. I met a fellow who lives about an hour and a half from my place, maybe a little less than it actually. Just a few weeks ago he runs a museum dedicated to Bigfoot, the Yeti, the Sasquatch. Have you seen it? Yes, yes, I've seen it. I've seen it twice in the state of Florida. Have other people seen it? Oh, it's everywhere. This thing is everywhere. Bigfoot is everywhere. Why in the world is there not conclusive evidence then? Oh, there is. (laughs) There is evidence. And so people believe in the sorts of things like Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot, for which there is frankly no evidence and which quite honestly just don't exist. But somebody might turn the table on me and say, hey, wait a minute. There's you. A Christian, and you believe in a God that you've never seen. Ah, fair point. Except, of course, we believe that we can see God in nature. We see God in the Bible. We can experience God. We see the wisdom of God in fulfilled prophecy. And archaeology reinforces the truth that the Bible is verily the word of God. So we can believe in the existence of a God we've never seen because we've really good reason to do so. But then we believe as Christians... We believe, giving you the benefit of the doubt, as believers in other things that, frankly, it's a little difficult to substantiate. For example, we believe in a place we've never even been to called heaven. You don't know a single person who's been there, not personally. You've never seen any photos. There's no webcam online that you can check out what's taking place in heaven right now. And yet we believe in heaven. Now, we're in good company because Jesus said in John 6 and verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And so if we believe in the Bible, therefore we should need to believe in heaven. One follows from the other. Surely, Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Then Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, what does he say? I will, I will come again to do what? Tell me, receive you unto myself so that where I am, there what? There you may be also. Jesus promised us a place called heaven. And he said, I'm coming back to get you. And this promise started with those words, let not your heart be troubled. Ooh, I wonder if you would take that to heart. Let not your heart be troubled. We live in a troubled world, a dangerous world. We live in a world that's racked by poverty and injustice and inequality and racism. Jesus says, though, let not your heart be troubled. Now, I don't believe that what Jesus meant was see these troublous issues and be untouched. He doesn't mean that. But Jesus is offering us hope. There is murder and addiction and broken homes and crime and prisons filled with people who've done so many regrettable things. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Why does he say that? Because he says there is hope beyond all this. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't be discouraged. He knows when you're having financial difficulties, and he says, let not your heart be troubled. He knows when you're having marital difficulties, and he says, let not your heart be troubled. Don't let it shake your faith. Don't let it move your faith out of God. Look beyond this. I'm not saying ignore this. Things need to be dealt with and worked on. But Jesus is saying you can have hope In the midst of your current distress, because I'm coming back soon to get you and I'm going to take you to a perfect place called heaven. Jesus says, I am coming back one day to take you to my father's house. The Bible begins with the words, in the beginning, God created. And what do you think it was like when God created it? Oh, it was perfect. God created a perfect world. There was no sin, none of that. It was wonderful. There were no hospital rooms. There were no emergency rooms. There were no trauma centers. God created a perfect world. Sin came, third chapter of the Bible, and humanity crashes and burns. But God said, I won't leave it like that. He sent his son into the world and he gave us a way out. He gave us a way of escape. He gave us the promise of a wonderful future. However, Jesus comes to the earth. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But get to the end of the book. Oh, my goodness. The Bible is a book that has a fantastic ending. God's people are redeemed. They are in the presence of God forever. There's no book like it. It has the best ending that you can imagine. Let me encourage you today, whatever your circumstances are, however troubled you may be, look forward with hope. Look beyond this world with hope because we aren't here to stay. We are getting out of here one day. We are going to go. Gravity will lose its hold on the soles of your feet. The dead won't stay dead forever, not the saved. There's going to be a great getting up morning one day. The dead in Christ shall rise. Even if your life is a mess, you can know if your heart is in God's hands that the best is yet to come. Come on and say amen this morning. Amen. amen. We've got everything to look forward to. Jesus is coming back. Heaven waits. There's good things ahead. Wonderful things ahead. I got an email from a friend of mine who was in the hospital. He has since passed away. He was battling cancer. It was tough. And he emailed me and he said to me, John, there are very few things in this world that you can count on. One of them is faith in God, and the other is that Jesus died to save sinners. Here was a man dying in a hospital bed, but his his heart was not troubled. He could look forward and know that the best is yet to come, and Jesus is coming back soon. We've got eternity to look forward to. One day we exit this earth and we enter the abode of the redeemed and the former things the Bible says won't even come into mind. We'll just be saying glory and hallelujah and we're in the presence of God and Jesus is a great savior and there's no sin and there's no trouble here and we are in the right place because we are in God's place. Heaven, what a place. That's where we're going. We are going to leave this world behind and go to heaven. We can have trouble with our ideas about heaven sometimes. Heaven isn't simply an improved version of the earth. It's not like that. In the beginning, the earth was perfect. It was wonderful. It was beyond your ability to even to imagine. There was no injustice and there was no hate and there was no racism. There was no bullying and there was no suicide. And there were no drunk drivers. It was perfect. But then came sin. And you know it's a sinful world because before you walked in here, you locked your car. Did you lock your car? Wait a minute. Am I sure? Did I lock the car? Every time you lock your car, every time you lock your house, every time you take something valuable and put it away, you say, yeah, we're living in a sinful world. But one day, no more locks, no more police, no more security. None of that. Doctors are going to be out of work. We are going to another place, we're going to go to heaven. There are three different ways that heaven is used as a word in the Bible. One is heavens where the birds fly. The Bible refers to that, the heavens where the birds fly. So there's that. And then there's the heavens where the stars are. God told Abraham that he would multiply his descendants as the stars of the heavens. So out there in space where the stars are, that's heaven too. Then there's another heaven. Matthew 5 and verse 15. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Three heavens where the birds fly, where the stars are, and where God dwells. Three heavens. And the heaven we want to go to is a physical place. It's a real place. It's the real thing. God is going to have us over to his house and it is gonna be fantastic. We go there when Jesus returns to take us home. This is the testimony of 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will do what? Rise First, two resurrections. One when Jesus comes back. Those are the saved. Another at the end of the thousand years. Those are the lost. But when Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. That's where we're going. We live in a world where death robs us, robs us of life and of our loved ones. And sometimes it'll even rob you of hope because you say, oh, I have so many things left to do and so many more people to reach and so much more love to give. Death is an intruder. Death came as the result of sin, you understand. The devil came to Eve in the garden and said, really, did God really mean that? Did God really say that? You're going to be okay if you will take the word of God as it reads and say, yes, God really said that, and I absolutely believe that. But sin came into the world and sin brought death. And you go to cemeteries and you see grave markers and little grave markers and little graves where little children were buried. Tragic. But that child who died sees his or her parents again. That spouse who died sees his or her spouse again. The grandchildren who hardly even knew their grandparents because they died when they were little. In faith in Christ, through the blood of Jesus, Those grandchildren will be reunited with their grandparents again. There is an eternity stretching towards us. What a reunion day it's going to be. What a reunion day it's going to be. When families meet again and friends meet again and church members meet again, imagine what it will be like. It's going to be better than you can imagine. You should imagine, but you really cannot accurately imagine. Heaven is as good as it gets. Now, sometimes people say, Oh, you know, Hawaii. No. Uh, 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 uh Fiji. No disrespect, but you know, no. New Zealand. Okay, we're getting closer now. <laughs> we're getting closer now. But no. It's not an improved, heaven is not an improved version of what we have here. It's something altogether new and wonderful and we'll be blessed and we will love it. We're not talking about a mythical place where you got chubby little angel babies with wings and uh, angels sitting around on fluffy clouds eating grapes the size of volleyballs. No, that's not heaven. Heaven is not a place of inactivity. Heaven's a wonderful place where your faculties will be developed and where your talents will be stretched out and where you'll learn to live longer, well, forever, and love more and meet new people and go new places. And the best thing is God will be there and we'll be able to serve God in ways that right now we can barely even imagine. You can be sure that God has prepared a perfect place for you, a place that you will love, a place where there'll be no sadness, no pain, no shame, no regret. John saw heaven in a vision. He writes about it in chapter 4 of Revelation in verse 1 where he says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. John saw the throne room of heaven. Can you imagine? Daniel had a vision of heaven as well. In the book of Daniel, uh, uh, whereas John saw God's throne and God himself, Daniel did the same thing. In fact, he saw the judgment taking place in heaven, and he wrote about it. He described God. He saw God's clothing and his hair and his feet and the wheels of his throne like burning fire. Undoubtedly, he saw multitudes of angels conveying God's throne about heaven also. In Revelation 11:19 the Bible says and the temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen in his testament in his temple rather the ark of his testament inside the ark of the covenant is the 10 commandments and so the 10 commandments the very original 10 commandments are in God's house in the ark of the covenant what a place Heaven, where God dwells, where God's law is enthroned. And by the way, if you've ever wondered, do I need to honor and obey the law of God? Number one, when Christ comes into your life, obedience becomes an inevitability. When Jesus has your heart, he leads you in the path of righteousness because he's living his life in you. So it isn't a question of should I or shouldn't I? It's if you've really invited Jesus into your life, he will lead you in that direction unless you fight him off. So do we keep the commandments of God? It happens because Jesus is in you. But if the commandments of God are enshrined, are honored, are in a holy place in heaven, they certainly ought to be in our hearts. There's no question about that at all. Now, have you ever wondered what Jesus is doing in heaven right now? Have you ever wondered? I'll tell you because the Bible tells you. In Hebrews chapter 8, the word of God says, We have such a high priest... Who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the where? Now, is that where the birds fly? Is that where the stars are? No, is that where God is? Yes, it is. In heaven today, Jesus is there. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected. Fabulous. Jesus is in judgment in heaven representing you and me a little like a lawyer would represent a client in a courtroom. Except some people in the courtroom are actually innocent. We are not. We're guilty, all of us, every last one of us, as guilty as sin. But Jesus said, I will take their sin on me. See, this is what the story of the gospel is about. A sinless savior taking your sin upon himself. God in the flesh who came to this earth to be your sin bearer on the cross. What a wonderful thing, the cross. What an amazing thing. It was there on Calvary that the sins of humanity were placed on Jesus. As he was encircled in the darkness, as people stood by, many of them jeering, Jesus' heart ruptured within his chest. That's what sin did to him. Ordinarily, crucifixion victims would languish on the cross even for days. That's why they broke the legs of the thieves so that no longer could they hold themselves up and they would hang and suffocate on the cross, unable to breathe, and they would die. They came to Jesus. There was no need to break his legs. They wanted to get these guys off because the Sabbath and and it was Passover time. It's interesting, isn't it? They wanted to honor the Passover. They just killed the Passover lamb. But let's honor the Passover. Hypocrisy is really a brutal thing. And so Jesus died not because of the crucifixion. He died because of your sin, your your sin, yours and mine, of course. Jesus died for our sins. Sin causes death. Look around you. Next time you're walking down the street in some kind of a marketplace at a mall, look around you. These are all the people for whom Jesus died because he loves them and he loves you. Loves you. There's something about our Father's love expressed by the death of Jesus on the cross. Can you respond to the love of your heavenly Father? I wonder if you can. I wonder if you can, or would you prefer to go on in life just doing your own thing? Heaven awaits. And Jesus died so we could be saved and live forever. The Bible describes a place where the streets are made out of gold where there's a beautiful river of life and a tree of life. There are gates of pearls, of pearl. What a place. I don't know if it's actual literal pearl. I suppose it is. Gold like we know gold? I suppose so. But whatever it is, God is using the best words he can to help us to understand that it's just as wonderful as we can imagine. Jesus died for you. He wants to spend eternity with you. You know that God had the sanctuary built And his people were camped around it so he could dwell in the midst of his people. This was God's idea to save you. It was our idea to be lost. It was God's idea to save us from our sins so that he could dwell in our midst absolutely forever. We're guilty. The guiltless one died so we could be declared free by the judge. You see, heaven's focus is on what's taking place on this earth. Think of how vast the universe is. You know what I heard the other night on the radio? Got to try to remember this. Wrong device. I wrote it on a device. As they look out into our galaxy, scientists have now discovered what they call exoplanets. 3,801 of them. 3,801 exoplanets. My understanding of that is planets beyond where we currently see planets. They said, based on what we have found and based on what we know about the size of the galaxy, we can confidently predict that there are at least 40 billion Earth-like planets in our galaxy. Now they don't necessarily mean with people on them and waterfalls and, and grass growing. 40 billion planets like Earth in our galaxy. Forty billion. You know how many that is? That's three hundred that's thirty nine billion nine hundred and ninety nine million nine hundred and ninety-nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine more planets than ours. How small does that make us? We're just talking about one galaxy, and there are billions of galaxies. And yet when something went wrong on this planet, God was right there. And when human beings were in danger of being lost forever, the God of billions of galaxies and countless billions or trillions of planets, based on what the scientists are saying, that God said, we have to do something drastic to save these human beings. If God had just reached down and flicked the earth like a marble out of the universe wouldn't have made a bit of difference except it would have to him. Such is the love of God for human beings, even for sinful human beings. How can you deny? How can you turn that kind of love down? How can you turn it back? How can you ignore it? It's got to be impossible. We are teeny tiny and yet Jesus came from the throne room of heaven To see to it that we must be saved. The Bible says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so that means that we can even look beyond heaven. Look to a new earth created by God, recreated by God. Revelation 21, starting in verse 2, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This earth is going to be made new, and this planet will become the the, the 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 host site of the capital city of the universe. God's new Jerusalem is going to come from heaven and will be stationed here on planet earth. The place of humanity's terrible tragedy and failure is also the site of earth's of a heaven's greatest triumph. And God moves his capital city here to the earth. Yes, Jesus is coming one day soon and he's coming back to take us to heaven. And I, I expect that you want to go. Do you want to go? Can you say amen? amen? God wants you to be there. He wants you to be saved with him forever. And one day soon, Jesus will come back and make that a reality. Well, let's read on. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. Imagine that. And then the Bible says "And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. This earth struggles with loss and tragedy, sickness and death. But the Bible says we are going to a place where the inhabitants shall not say, I am sick. One day you can throw away your medication and your crutches and your walker and your wheelchair and your eyeglasses. One day there'll be no more knee replacement and hip replacement. One day there'll be no more accidents and broken bones. One day it'll all be done. We're going to a new place. Heaven, everything's going to be perfect. The Bible says God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be... No more death. Say that with me. There shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any what? No more pain. For the former things are passed away. This earth, what's going on here now, represents Satan's last ditch effort. This is his best shot. But one day there'll be no more devil. And no more devilment. Revelation 22 verse 5 says, There will be no night there. No night. And they shall need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. The glory of the Father and the Son illuminates the new Jerusalem. We will build houses and inhabit them. We will plant vineyards, the Bible writer said, and eat the fruit of it. The Bible says the new earth is going to be so wonderful that the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Of course it is. God says, they will not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Friend, you can have it. You can be there. You can be in this place where the streets are made of gold and where the flowers never fade. How? How can I be there? For by grace, that's God's goodness, his power, his mercy, his favor. For by grace, you have been saved through what? Faith. And that not of yourselves, that's a gift of God. So you know something, whether you recognize it or not, God has given you a gift. He's given you the gift of faith. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that gift, that gift of faith? God wants you to hang on to that and hold that and cherish that and use that. Heaven is yours by faith. I'm not good enough. I know. I know you're not. But heaven isn't for the good enough. It's for those who have hung on to Jesus. I don't think I'm holy enough. I can guarantee you you're not holy enough. The question isn't, are you holy enough? The question is, is Jesus holy enough? And when you welcome him into your life, he brings his holiness. And you start to grow out of your stumbling, uh, bumbling experience. You start to grow. You get up ahead of speed. You start running, sprinting, flying. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Too many of us, we're like chooks pecking around in the dirt. When we ought to be soaring on eagles' wings, that's where faith will take you. That's where faith will take you. God simply wants to forgive you, give you hope in this earth, take away your sin. The penalty's been paid, so let him take your sinful heart and give you a new heart. And then heaven is yours. It's yours. You live in this world darkened by sin. We have our troubles. We have our stumbles, but we live a life of faith now, faith that one day soon, I am out of here. I am leaving. I am going up because Jesus is coming back. And he is coming back for me. If you've ever accepted Jesus and then wondered, will I be in heaven? Stop wondering. Start believing. In Christ, you have salvation and you ought to have assurance right now that everlasting life is yours. Uh, I once talked to somebody about heaven and that person said, I hope I'm there. No, man, don't hope. Believe that's what faith is. Faith isn't oh man, I don't know. I'm hoping. Faith is I believe it, not because I'm proud, not because I'm cocky, not because I'm self assured. I believe it because I have faith in Christ and his righteousness becomes mine. Revelation twenty two fourteen. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. We are going to that city. We are going. A few decades ago, a Soviet cosmonaut went up into space and he came on back down and he said, I flew up there into the heavens and I did not see God. He opened his eyes, but he didn't open his heart. Today you can say, I see him. I see God. One day I'm going into the heavens, and I am going to be in my Father's house. In my Father's house are many mansions. I will come again to receive you to myself. It's too precious to waste. It's too lovely to lose. It's too perfect to dispense with. Heaven is yours. God offers it to you today, and you must accept his gift of everlasting life. Not to do so is, it's unthinkable. You know, when the Egyptians buried their pharaohs in pyramids, they prepared them for the afterlife. So they embalmed them or wrapped them and put their bodies in these wonderful tombs is really what they were. And then gave them stuff, left them with flowers and vases and, 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 Food and all manner of things. When they found Tutankhamun's tomb, they found their chairs and chariots. Because to the Egyptian way of thinking, Tutankhamun was going to need those things where he was going. What a waste of time. Let me tell you where we are going, we will need none of that. None at all. And I say thank God for we are going to our father's house up there. We'll spend time with God in heaven and then God will bring us back in the holy city down here to the earth. This is when the Mount of Olives splits open, like Zechariah says, and the new Jerusalem sits right there. And we'll be with Jesus throughout eternity, ceaseless ages. And you've got to know today that Jesus is coming back soon and he's coming back for you and he wants to be with you forever. There's a place for you in Your father's house. Is there a place in your heart for Jesus? That's the question I want to ask you today. Can you make room in your heart for Jesus by faith? Claim eternity today. It's real. It's not a fantasy. It's not like the Loch Ness Monster. It's the real thing. Not a legend. Reality. Jesus will be back. He's coming back for you. We will walk where the streets are paved with gold. Frankly, I couldn't care less if it was gold or gravel. It's all good. I just want to be there. Just want to be there. I don't mind what's growing on the tree of life. I think there'll be avocados, kiwi fruit, and feijoas. And durian, that's what I think. And then there'd be other things. Maybe persimmons, I could go for that. But I don't mind. I don't mind what God decides to put on there. I just want to be there. It's wonderful to think about heaven as being this outstanding place, and it is. But we just want to be there. And you know why? Because Jesus is there. And we don't ever want to be separated from the one who gave everything for us. What an awful thing to be on the outside of the new Jerusalem looking in and seeing Jesus and knowing I am separated from him forever. What a fantastic thing to be able to look up one day, one day soon. See the heavens depart as a scroll. Here's Jesus and the angels. And you can say, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We will rejoice in him. Or can you imagine? We'll be glad in his salvation. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for you. My hope and prayer is that that is your hope today. I have a friend standing right here, just a few feet away from me, for whom heaven is the hope. We have some friends today who will be baptized, and we want to bless you by giving you the opportunity to witness this wonderful baptism take place. And you know what's so exciting right now is that in the baptistry, we have a father and a daughter. I'll let you figure out which one is the father and the daughter. (laughs) I think you can. And this is a special time because someone has chosen to give her life fully to Jesus Christ.
1: I'm a pastor, and it's my privilege to baptise Tejin uh, this morning, who's made a decision to follow Jesus. Her father had Bible studies with her, and so I invited him to also be in the font as well. He's just going to speak for half a minute about his daughter and her name, Tejin. Thank you. Gutkoth. Thank you, Uh, Paul. First, I want to explain the meaning of Tejina. There was a time that I went to South Sudan to visit my relatives. During the gathering of meetings, my grandma told me that seeing your first child uh, is a boy, the second child Will be a girl because I want your son to have a sister. And year later, Tejina was conceived, and was born as a girl. And then we call her "Quoth Tejina," which means that God is awake. God, hear whatever you say. And thank you. Amen. And so today we have a young person and an older person being baptised and being young is a good time to give our lives to Jesus when our whole life is ahead of us. And so it is my privilege to baptise Tejin. I baptise you in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost.
0: Amen. Amen. a wonderful example Ted Gina has set a wonderful example she knows that her life stretches before her and she wants to live her life connected to Jesus her Savior she's an intelligent young lady who's weighed up the issues of the great controversy and she said I want to stand with Jesus and live my life for him and serve him what a wonderful wonderful decision is God calling you to make that decision today please Be prayerful. Be thinking about that. I know many of you, you think, oh, it's it's fine. I've been baptized. I've never departed from the Lord. Everything's good. Will you recommit yourself to Jesus today? There are other people here today that wandered, they've drifted, or never been baptized, never made that decision. Kajina is not the only individual being baptized today. There's another, and you'll be blessed by the example given all of us the example of surrender given all of us by a man who is a child of God and today is making the decision to bury the old life and live a new life of faith in Christ. Mm-hmm.
1: It's my privilege again to baptize David Hawkins uh, David has been playing a little bit hard to get with God, but God finally got him, and uh, David yielded to his chasing. And maybe God is chasing some of you as well. Maybe now's the time to yield. And so, David, it's my privilege, because of your decision to follow Christ, to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. God bless you, David. God bless you, Tijina. Is God calling to you today? A little over a year ago, I was in Guatemala in Central America. Uh, There had been a terrible, terrible volcano. A volcano called Volcan del Fuego had erupted. Interestingly, its name in English means Volcano of Fire this thing erupted and did colossal damage we went there to record an it is written television program and we went there slightly in advance of a mission group that was going to go and provide very real aid to people whose lives had been upended so we went to where volcán del fuego had done such damage it was like being on the moon as far as i would imagine the moon it was just it was rock and ash you see this thing didn't didn't you're familiar with the, the, the streams of lava that flow. This wasn't that. This was a pyroclastic flow. It's like the mountain just sort of belched. And out of the mountain came this superheated gas mixed with ash and rock. Who knows what else? And like an avalanche, it just kind of came down the side of the mountain and swallowed up everything in its path. When we got there, there, were, there was heavy equipment digging down to the road And from the top of the ash down to where the road was, it was somewhere between 8 and 10 meters. That's a lot of ash. We looked around, there was really nothing there. Some people were digging out a home. I will tell you this, somebody did find a dead relative. We were there three weeks to the day after the volcano erupted. So that was a a fearful experience for that family. Others were waiting because the second floor of a house was sticking up out of the ground. They needed to dig down to the first story, their family members were there. When we went back to town to the shelter to meet people, visit with people at the shelter, they started telling us about their experience. And one man said, you know, there were 15,000 people in our town. I spoke to the translator afterwards and I said, did he mean 1500? Because where we were, there was no 15,000 people, not possible. My translator Carolina said, well, you know, in Espanol, the word for 100 and the word for thousand, very different. So it's not likely he made a mistake. Must have. I've been there. There weren't 15,000 people there. We interviewed somebody else who said 13 and a half thousand people. What in the world? So I did a little Google search and found before and after photos of the place that we'd just been. It was a small city. There was somewhere between 10 and 15,000 people that lived there. When I got there, there was nothing, just a roof or two sticking up out of the ground and no other evidence that anyone had ever been there. But you know something, there'd been a lot of people there. At the shelter, I met a lady named Rosa, Rosa Chacon. Rosa worked for the government's, well, volunteered for the government's emergency warning system. It was Rosa's task to go into the town and tell people to get out. To tell people to flee. But here's what what happened. Rosa went into home after home after home, and she was told, you know, we're not going to go anywhere. We're just going to lock our door and wait it out. We're not going to leave. We're just going to lock our doors and wait. It was a Sunday, so there were churches in operation. Someone ran to a local church banged on the door waited and said please you've got to leave you've got to leave you've got to leave the volcano was coming it's flowing down the side of the mountain the volcano was erupting here it comes they answered by saying we will just pray and ask God to protect us God was in the process of protecting them all of those people are still in church where I was standing here, that church was just over there, but about nine meters beneath the top of where we were walking, beneath the surface. Every one of those people had the opportunity to get out. The government said maybe 200 people lost their lives, but people who lived in the area told us there's at least 1,500 people dead, at least. And that number could have been zero. Zero. But people didn't move when they should have and could have moved. They didn't respond to the warning message. And it wasn't an ugly warning message. It was an appeal. It was a plea. Please would you move to a place of safety. Please would you simply get up from where you are and move not terribly far and you'll be safe. want to do something today that we haven't done this on one of our Saturday morning presentations please would you stand would you stand where you are because I need to appeal to you today and I'd like you to be standing when I do Rosa went into the city and asked people to move to step out to move to a place of safety and I want to ask you today to do just that father we honor you and praise you and magnify you As we go from this place, you will go with us. Turn our sadnesses into joys, our failings into victories, our hesitation into confidence. Change our weakness into strength through Jesus. And bless us and keep us and hold us and don't ever let us go. Bless these, they are yours. May they be so now and forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Please say with me. Amen Amen and amen.